As we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're diving off into a particularly difficult area of Scripture. Not difficult because it's uh, complicated doctrinally, difficult because it's, it's not always fun to talk about what we're going to be talking about, yet it's a, it's a very healthy thing for us to do. Now, it's, it's important to know that as we get into this, uh, we come to this truth often that our world's a mess around us. And... Um, one of you, maybe, I don't know if it was Pastor Phil or whoever it was, somebody said something about Facebook, and Facebook's a place where you go to be encouraged. <laughs> anyway, the world's a mess, and when you start looking at what's going on around us, I think this passage this morning really helps us to anchor into the doctrine of the Word of God so that we can be prepared with what is going on around us and, and uh, equipped both... Um, inwardly to our inward man, but also equipped to the world around us, how we're to engage and kind of knowing what we're up against. And so that's uh, an important passage that we're going to be studying. The title from last Sunday and part two of this it really goes throughout chapter four. It's the work of the ministry in hindrance and in hope. The work of the ministry in hindrance and in hope. So with that in mind, let's get into the Bible today. I all right, we had verses 1 and 2 we covered last week. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, let's just read these verses out loud. Verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you got your Bible open there. Read with me verses 1 and 2. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We have the ministry of the new covenant, and that's the blessing of what's coming from chapter 3. The ministry of the gospel has been entrusted to us, and we've received mercy, so we're not going to faint. Do you ever want to faint? Do you ever want to, do you ever feel tired? Do you ever feel like you just had enough? And uh, so we feel that way, and I, I appreciate, I've already referenced Pastor Phil having the 24-hour bug for a whole week throughout his family. We're dealing with some of that with Joe. And by the way, physical sickness really does have a, a weight upon us spiritually as well. I think we do well to recognize that. When you're not feeling good, you're not feeling good. And that can be hard. And uh, my wife and I have been trading back and forth with little Joe. Uh, we have now beds, but since the accident, I have beds that go up and down like this. And Joe is sleeping beside me in an elevated bed because he's had trouble every night. Well, last night, Nora traded with me and he is, you know what? A five-year-old will just wear you out. I'm just saying, just wear you. I, Pastor Phil, you're leading choir. I'm watching the boys, you know, while you're leading choir. They are everywhere. I, I'm not kidding. I, I wouldn't be surprised sometime to come out and find them in the piano and just, just seeing what goes on. Because why? Because their minds are busy. And, and anyway, these people, they make you tired, right? And sickness makes you tired. You feel it. You feel it grown in your own. But you know what, folks? You need to come to a place today like this, and you need to hear, don't quit. You need to hear, look, I know it's tiring. It can be weary. You can be overwhelmed many times and feel like you just can't. I want to give you some encouragement with God's power, you can carry on. And it's really important that we understand we don't have time to quit. We don't have time to kind of take, take the hiatus and say, you know, I, I just, I just, and again, I said last week, it doesn't mean you can do everything. It doesn't mean you sign up for every ministry. There's no one in person in this room that can meet everybody's needs. But we can do what we can. And what we need to understand is, again, I, you know, you know the verse, Philippians 4, 13. What does it say? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So we need God's strength. Don't faint, don't quit. And it's important. It's important to know that. Because as you come into these verses today, in verses 3 and following, it's now talking about the gospel, this ministry that's been given to us, and it starts with in verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And I want to say it's one of the most tragic verses of the Bible. If our gospel is hid, it is hidden to those who are lost. It is a tragedy that there are lost people in the world looking at a Christless eternity. 
And I don't know that we can, I don't know that we can fully reconcile this. I think Pastor Phil and I, uh, I told him just before the service about Kyle and Jane, and he texted back, babies are forever. And it's true. Because here are two souls coming into the world, well, actually four, uh, with the other ladies that are expecting as well, and maybe more. Um, but as these babies are coming, these aren't just lives that are going to exist on the planet and then end. These are eternal souls that are given and truly a treasure. And, and what a horrible thing to think of a Christless eternity. What a tragedy that anybody on the planet is lost and going to hell. But it says if it's hidden, if the gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those that are lost. Now, the next verse, and we're going to take a, a dive into this because I think it's, it bears, um, bears doing. Uh, it says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So we're going to take a moment here, and we're going to unpack verses 3 and 4, but largely dealing with verse 4. The gospel being hidden is a direct result of two things. So the gospel being hidden is a direct result of two things. Now, let me ask you, do we ever have a tendency to blame God? Do we? Do As believers... Can we still have inappropriate doctrine and bad thinking so that when bad things happen, we blame God? Okay, this just happened for me with someone just, just really yesterday uh, where there was a question about some bad thing and then the follow-up was, why would God do that? And, and I think it's always important to remember the nature of God. What is the nature of God? Well, my my tendency when I talk about the Lord, both in prayer, it's just, it is, it is born in doctrine, but it's an affirmation for me all the time that God is good. Now, why do I say that? Because that's what I believe? Well, yes, I believe that truthfully in my carnal nature, I can doubt that. Why do I say God is good? It's part of me affirming the doctrine of the Bible about what God says about himself, that he is good. Take a look, and we're not going to go there, but take a look at Psalm 100 where he describes his character. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. So the Lord is good. That is who he is. But when bad things happen, we can have a tendency to look at God like, well, God, God, God is just a cruel God and allowed this to happen. Well, we believe in a sovereign God. And don't you thank the Lord that he has a plan? And don't you thank the Lord for the majesty of who he is, that in a sinful world, he can take the messed up, wackadoo world that is and accomplish his glory? Well, he can, and he does, and he does it all the time. But in this, if the gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost. Now, here's what I want to take a moment to say. It's... it's I struggle with how to communicate the deficit that man faces in the world. The deficit that we face is that we are sinners born into a sinful world. And that deficit means that we can be blind to things and, and, and live a long time and not even know. Not even know what's going on. Now, this is a dumb illustration, okay? How many of you um, this week have used a can opener? Use a can opener? Okay, how do you open a can with a can opener? Uh, uh, just assuming that you have one of those, you know, the old, the old school standard that's got the clamp on. How do you clamp that thing on? Do you come down from the top and kind of pop into the can and go around? Okay. Did you know, at least in my life, I would say I, I've done that that way all my life. Did you know? I now believe I've been doing it the wrong way. Did you know that you can turn that thing sideways on the top of the can and apply it sideways and go around the can and you never, you never have the instance of the lid being stuck halfway down or having to get that metal lid out because it cuts the top off. My son-in-law taught me that and when he was teaching me, he said, you know, you're doing that wrong. I'm like, I what? 
You're doing that wrong. I have no pride. (laughs) The point is, you can live life getting it wrong all your life. You You can get it wrong all your life. And the truth is, people in this world can get the, their understanding of God wrong all their lives and die without the Lord and die without knowing the gospel or surrendering to it. But it is hidden. They have blinded eyes and it's for two reasons. The gospel being hidden is a direct result of two things. The first thing it's a result of is rebellion slash rejection. So it says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which what? And people like to argue, well, well, did he blind their minds so they don't believe or did they not believe and then he blinded their minds? They work together. And you're going to find that borne out through scripture as well in some of the passages we're going to look at today. So it's important to know, and we've said this before, it's a phrase that I think is worth repeating. There are none so blind as those that will not see. And our rebellion, our stubbornness, our pride can just shut the Lord down because I want to make my own way. I want to find my own way. And the truth of the matter is if, not, if we in this room don't have the humility to bow our thinking and our hearts to the sovereignty of God and his word, we can go on believing whatever we want, which could be a lie. And the jeopardy in this passage is the eternal damnation of a soul. Not just you got sick and not just you suffered or not just because some bad thing happened to you, but the eternal damnation of a soul. So it's hidden because of rebellion and rejection. That's borne out through many passages. It's also hidden, and this is where we dive into, it's hidden because it's, their minds are being blinded by Satan using the circumstance of rejection and rebellion, by using that, he engages to supplant them by blinding them himself, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. He uses this phrase in this passage. You take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. It says, being blinded by Satan, the God of this world, as you see in your Bibles there, It's got um, that little G, and that little G is the indicator of someone who is a ruler. So it's not uh, that he is equal with God the Father or Christ or the Holy Spirit, but he is a ruler that has been given authority. Satan has been given authority in this world. And it's important that we know that. It's important that we at least shine the light of truth on this because God is in the world trying to make people aware. Just read John chapter 1, the light that lighteth all men. He has come to be the light of the world that shines in this darkness that people might be rescued from outer darkness, rescued from their own blindness. Well, Satan has been given authority, and that authority is given of God. And some people would argue, well, why would God do that? If he's a sovereign and mighty God, why would he do that? Let me me just say something about this. I could answer that with some reasons, but I'm going to answer it just succinctly this way. God has a plan, and he knows what he's doing. And ours is not always to understand everything that God is doing. Ours is to surrender to his sovereign majesty and trust his plan. I think what happens is sometimes we read something like this and we say, well, if I was God, I would not even let there be a Satan. If I was God, I would not let there even be evil in the world. And I I think we need to recognize the malignity of the stain of sin in our own heart that would say, I would be a better God than God is. I would do it right when God's doing it wrong. Do you see the stench of the sinful man that wants to raise its head? And I will argue again, not only does the loss do that, but still the echoes of our carnal nature can be there for a believer. So why does God do this? Because he's God. And God is working his plan. Now, I'm going to say, and I'll just touch on this briefly, that I believe that God has allowed all this so that he could magnify the fact that he has given man free choice to either receive him or reject him. And I think that's at the core of the doctrine of why there's evil in the world. 
And without the opportunity for evil, there is no opportunity to choose. And we have an opportunity to choose. And God wants that choice. He's invited every person to make that choice. And I will tell you, it's one of the doctrines that's being supplanted by many Reformed theologians. And by the way, I'm not enemy. Uh, They're not enemies. They're brothers. And and they approach this differently than I do. And I'm not smarter than anybody who's in that world. I'm just saying that we need to embrace all of our Bible and understand that God has given a design where man has the opportunity to choose God. And we recognize that if anybody is saved, he's not saved by his authority, by man's authority, or by man's being, (laughs) oh boy, this is a loaded language, woke spiritually. It It is that God, in his grace, enlightens our minds so that we become aware of the gospel. And then upon the doctrine and the authority of the word of God, we have a choice to make. You can never get around that. Salvation is offered freely to what? All who believe. But we never take the position, oh, I believe because I was good. I believe because of God's grace. And I believe if God had not taken away the blinders, I would have never believed. He sought me when I was lost. He sought you when you were lost. You need saving. You need rescuing because you have the the deficit of your own carnal nature, which in its nature will live in rebellion against God, but you have an adversary who would take your weakness, magnify it, and shut the, the curtains down upon your life so that there is total blindness to the gospel message. And it's blindness in in, in hundreds of different ways. I've always been raised in a Christian family. I've always believed. No, you've not always believed. And being raised in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Because you've been baptized doesn't give you right to be in heaven. Because you're a good person. None of those things which are lies and darkness. As much as darkness as the atheist says, well, I don't believe in God. Why? Because these are lies in darkness that obscure and hide the light of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, understanding then that Satan is our adversary. Satan has been given authority in this world. He says to believers, and you hath he what? Hath he quickened? What do we understand quickened to mean? To be made alive. You has he made alive who are what? Dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein, in time past, he walked according to the course of this world. According to who? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He's blinded the minds of those who would not believe. He's blinded their eyes, and he says... Back in our passage, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 references again the prince of the power of the air. So let me ask you, are you seeing the prince of the power of the air at work today? Is it slightly or greatly? It sure seems greatly to me. It seems like Satan is having his way every which way. And when you want to look at what it means, it is the curtain of darkness coming down so that people cannot see the truth, cannot see the truth, cannot see the truth. And it is everywhere. Matter of fact, so much is that so that you can see it in legislation, you can see it in the doctrine of social life uh, through which every media platform you want to look at. The things which are darkness are being thrust upon you and that which is right and that which is true is being obscured all the time. Why? Because there is an authority in this world that's been given by God that authority is under Satan's purview. And Satan as a rebel against God is doing all that he can to fight against the plan of God. And we see it in every which way. So, believer, it then I think this empowers me to understand then why, when I look at various media platforms, why there is so much darkness and why there is so much denial of the truth in every platform. So let me ask you, as a believer, 
Do you feel like what you believe is being represented through the doctrine of the Bible in the world? In other words, righteousness and truth and all that is true about God, do you feel like that's being represented? Do you long for a day where, where justice and righteousness will prevail? Does it, does it make your heart ache to think of, I really wish that truth would win in this moment? Do, do, you, do you find yourself thinking that? There's a reason. We are sojourners because this is not our home. Heaven, can you imagine all the peace and tranquility? I should not sing. <laughs> no more burdens to bear, no sorrow, no care. Heaven. Why? Because this is not heaven. Praise God, this is not heaven. Amen? Amen? Thank the Lord that this isn't all there is. But there is an influence in the world identified as the prince of the power of the air that is permeating everywhere, everywhere, permeates everywhere. And every biblical ideology that's being fought against. So you wonder why? And I can have referenced this, and I don't think this is a diatribe often to these things. They're just illustrations. You wonder why our world can be so messed up about marriage? There's a prince of the power of the air. You wonder why the world can be messed up about something so basic as gender? It's because of the prince of the power of the air. You wonder why the world can be so mixed up in all the false doctrines of the world? The prince of the power of the air. And if it wasn't for God, you would be dead in your trespasses and sins. You would be in that darkness still. So going back to our passage, I'm referencing these two things. He's blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, I've just taken a moment just to magnify one word in that phrase from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, and that word that magnifies to me is that word glorious. Now, what does the word glorious mean? The word glorious is like, um, Pastor Phil, I don't remember if we've done that with these lights here. I don't remember. Um, these lights, these spotlights are operating at about what? Are they operating at, there's one time we turned these on, when we first got them, we turned them on full bore. Full bore. I think, okay. Well, we, well, my point is, these aren't, I don't think these are shining at their full capability. But my, my point there is this, glorious is to shine brightly. It would be the idea of coming to a dark room, having these lights hit, hit you in the face when they weren't on, and all of a sudden you have to draw back because it's so bright. That is the idea of who Jesus is. He is glorious in his splendor. And what we need to take a moment to realize is that we are recipients of a glorious gospel. The gospel truly is glorious. You know, it's hard to think about the song that the choir sang. It's hard to think about some of the songs we sang today without having in context that we just did Laura Brown's memorial service yesterday. And thinking what it means for us to have the salvation message that death is not the end. And thank the Lord, not only is it not the end, but there's two places a person's either going to go, heaven or hell. But by knowing Christ, it is to be in the presence of Christ when we are separated from this body. What an incredible message. What an incredible truth that God has given. And he's given for everyone in this room who knows him as your savior. And that means a lot of things. You got some loved ones in heaven? Do you? You know, the reason I preached yesterday the way I did for the funerals, I really believe that if Laura was here, she would want me to have told everybody about Christ. She would want me to point everybody to the Savior that Jesus is. So I look forward to heaven personally, but I also have some loved ones that are in heaven today. I look forward to being with them. Now, why is it that we can even have that kind of a hope? Because of the gospel, because of the blessing of the gospel. You know, I, I, I was talking to some friends yesterday. Uh, my mother's health is not good. She's got a lot of, of difficulties going on in her life. She's, she's, in my opinion, not 
not really old. I mean, I know for some people would think 74 is old, uh, but uh, it depends on your 74, right? But she struggles. She struggles physically. And some of you know this world. Some of you know what it's like to have oxygen, have to have, to have it everywhere you go. Seriously, my mom, she could not walk from here to this chair without having to put her hand on it and stop and, and breathe like this. Just from there to here. It's, it's a rough, it's a rough place to be. It's not an easy place to be. I don't know what all of our futures look like physically, but I know that there's a rescuer from all of the rampage of, of the, the sin stain on this world. And for the believer, he has promised a glorified body. And I, I think that's wonderful, but really the most primary thing is that he's promised us a home with him. Our gospel message is truly glorious. And this morning, Brother Jerry prayed for the offering. I, I would like us to continually get in our heads that when we're praying for the offering and when we're, we're giving thanks, that we really take that time to give thanks. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Has God blessed you with the glorious gospel of the message of Christ? Give thanks. It is a great message. It is the best message that the world has ever known. Now, I'm going to dive off here into two different veins. For the unbelievers, what does it mean? And then for the believers. The unbelievers, I'm going to take you to 2 Timothy chapter 2, particularly talking about what it means to have the hindrance of Satan working in the life of the unbeliever. Okay? So 2 Timothy chapter 2, the doctrine of Satan, which we're not diving fully into, but we're going to take at least a moment to talk about, is again that he's been given authority by God. He is working against God, and God has given certain, uh, certain uh, leverage to do so in the world so that there is an influence in the world that is anti-God. And we're seeing that that is playing out exactly as God has designed, that that power is having an influence everywhere. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. Now, this is a reference to, from Paul to Timothy, but also in respect to those who are the ministers or of the truth or of the gospel. The servant of the Lord, in verse 24, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. What's the next word? Now, I want to be careful here, folks, and we're going to see this bearing out in the next few verses. What happens... For many believers, when they see the world being anti-God, believers become carnally angry. And I will tell you that we are obscuring the glorious gospel of Christ when we react carnally. Now, is it right for us to be dissatisfied with the evil that is in the world? Of course. But we need to be careful about this better than you mentality, that we are, we are so this, and the world is so that. If it wasn't for Christ, we would be just in the same lostness that all the world is. And we are not, because we are saved, saved because we ever deserved it or because we were so smart. It is the miraculous mercy of God that anybody is saved. But the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. I'm going to tell you as a pastor, this works on my heart because there are times when I, I need to correct believers. That's a hard thing to do. There's times when I need to confront lost people. And I will tell you, my knee jerk is not always this. If it's not for the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to tell me this, I would probably be that guy that was hellfire, brimstone, anger, and pointed finger and say, you, 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 and hell, 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 and, and judgment of God, and praise God. Now, those truths are there, but there's a disposition behind it that I think we need to own as believers, and it is this. We must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Now, it goes on. I think it culminizes or uh, comes together in this word, in meekness. Meekness is humility and gentleness. 
That is as it's defined by the word used here. Meekness is humility and gentleness. Now, why should there be a humility? Because that's exactly, the lost are exactly what we would be without Christ. Now, in meekness, in all these spirits, what are we to do? Instructing, listen to the language, those that oppose themselves. So what the world does not know in their blindness is that they're fighting against God and they're fighting a losing battle with an adversary that is glad to accelerate their doom. Glad to destroy. Glad to wreak havoc, not only in the lost, but can I say, in your life as well. If Satan could snuff you out in the message that you carry, he would. I would argue the reason he hasn't is because the Lord has not let him. It says, instructing those that oppose themselves, one of the tasks that we have as believers is in the spirit of what's given here is to lovingly tell the lost what they need to know about Christ so that they can be rescued. It goes on to say, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take a moment in Reformed theology here. And there are people that would like to argue and say, well, God's got to give the the repentance. Uh, let Let me just say, I don't disagree with this. But I'm going to tell you something about this, comparing Scripture with Scripture. God will grant repentance unto anybody that will believe. He will work in that heart that is willing to surrender to him and work this repentance in their lives. But he says that God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they, and this is the really point of this passage, they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So why is it then that we are in a deficit in this world when it comes to the gospel? One, we're sinners, we're carnal in our nature, we're rebellious. And in that rebellion and in that resistance to God, there is darkness. But Satan seizes upon that. And the language here is that by teaching the lost, the truth in love, the truth of the gospel, that God would rescue them, recover themselves, it says, out of the snare of the devil. I'm going to take a moment on the snare of the devil. What is the snare of the devil? The snare, the snare is not uh, uh, hard to figure out. A snare is a what? What's another word for snare? Trap. Have you ever been trapped? Have you ever been trapped? Let me ask you, have you ever trapped yourself? I have so many dumb illustrations of this. Some of you, I think, have been here with me. Anybody else lose something behind the couch? It's one of those recliner couches, and you thought, well, I'm going to reach behind there and get it. And when you reach behind, it slid out, and now you're trapped. I mean, really trapped? where you would be there and die if nobody came to get you. (laughs) I've been there. I've done that. And then there's the entrapment. You ever seen the illustrations of a little kid that got his head trapped in between two bars and you're you're scratching your head and saying, how in the world did they do that? Not only did how they do that, but how in the world am I going to get them out? (laughs) There's that too, right? The illustration I want to give you here just to kind of understand the entrapment. Entrapment, really, the entrapment is something that you just simply cannot get, of, get out of. So this happened for me when I was, I was, I think I was a bit about 15 years of age. I was, so high school, eighth, ninth grade, ninth grade. Um, my wrestling coach was a 350-pound heavyweight wrestler, and he was a state champion. And he was mean. And uh, Rex Peckinpah. And he, if you did not do what he wanted you to do to the degree that he wanted you to do it with the motivation that he liked, you would pay. (laughs) And the lightest payment was that he would just, when he would get upset, he'd yell at the whole team, 
run. And everybody hit the doors and you'd just run until he wasn't mad anymore. And you'd run. But that wasn't the worst payment. The worst payment was when you didn't do something Coach Peckinpah wanted you to do. He, well, your, your instruction was that you would have to wrestle him. Now, believe it or not, <laughs> back in ninth grade when I was 15, I was 119 pounds. 119 pounds. My coach weighed 350 pounds. There were a time or two, it was a time or two where I did not please my coach. And I became the recipient of that, that arm of instruction. I want to tell you, 350 pounds, and he would not start with you two standing on your feet wrestling. He would make you get down and he would just put his weight on you. And I'm not kidding. 350 pounds, and it wasn't just, I love, I love him to death. He's, he's a great guy. But 350 pounds, he wouldn't just be on you, but you'd be there squishing. You'd be surprised at how flat your body can become. <laughs> but I was having a full meal of chewing the mat, and then he would be on top of me telling me what he wanted me to do, and he'd be squishing my face back and forth. <laughs> There would be nothing I could do, nothing I could do to get him off me, nothing. The only thing that got me out of that was when he was finally not mad anymore. I will tell you, one of the, it's my belief that some of the greatest wrestlers in the world are people who cannot stand to be held down. But the entrapment of Satan, I don't know that we fully appreciate. The snare of Satan is that you cannot escape with your power. You cannot. Your strength is insufficient to his power. And they that may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Now it goes on to say the snare, this trap. It says that they are then taken captive by him at his will. Now what does that mean? That means they become his servants. They do his bidding. Someone who is captive, they don't get to do what they wanted anymore. They get to do what their master now says. Now, the blindness of the lost is that they are happy to comply. They are happy to comply because they are lost so, listen, you got, you got to stay with me here, folks. This is really important. Someone recently said to me, and I think, it's, I think it's screamingly true. People aren't saying, now, I don't, I, don't think it, I don't think it takes away. What is the context of 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26? We teach or instruct those, right? So God does use scriptural, spiritual instruction to take the blinders off. God does use that. I'm going to tell you the greatest power I think on earth that saves souls is prayer. Have you ever tried to give the gospel to somebody that was being stubborn and would not believe? Are your, are your arguments logical? Are your arguments sufficient to meet the need of truth? In other words, when you're talking to somebody, do you feel like you really have given it plainly? And clearly, and yet you have someone in front of you that still doesn't believe. Why is that? Except for the grace of God and the really willingness of that heart to surrender, they will be blind still. Why? Well, they're trapped. And they're trapped by an adversary that has taken them captive. And if it isn't for the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit to take those blinders off, they will stay lost. So folks, you probably have some unsaved loved ones you need to be praying for. I don't think it's either or, I think it's both and. I don't think we just pray. I think we do tell the truth, but let's do it in love. But we've got to tell the truth in love, but only the Lord can make a person see it. I want to tell you that I'm going to dive back into this illustration. 
There are people through the lie of the devil and through the lie of this world that's worked in coordination with it. There are people that believe that they were born gay or, or, or lesbian or, or whatever they think. I'm going to tell you, I think that they truly believe it. But all they're doing is working in coordination with the prince of the power of the air. You start to not know who you are. You start to go down that road. And, and today, more than any other day, you have, at least in my history, you have educational systems and, and politics and coming into the fray and saying, yeah, you're really not that and, and you might be this. And from the earliest of ages, and no wonder you're seeing so many kind of dive off into that world. Why? Because they're just working in harmony with a heart that's not surrendered to God and the prince of the power of the air. And guess what? There's blindness. And I'm going to tell you, I've listened to transvestites and all that argue about this. I listened to a doctor say why this was absolutely ridiculous to not define biologically male and female. I, I listened to him give a debate to someone who is transgender. And the truth is, when you listen to the transgender person, they do a lot of words that, that come around to making sense to them. And, and the lost believe that stuff. Why? Because their minds are blinded. Their hearts are blinded. And it's not the only sin. It's just an illustration of sin. But what happens is Satan works in coordination with that. And if it isn't for the miraculous work of God, they'll stay lost. So we tell the truth. We tell the truth in love. And the truth is they are captive. And the spirit of this is we need to love these people even while they hate you as a believer. We need to love sinners who hate the truth. Jesus loves you that way. And the world needs to see Jesus in us loving them that way. Now, our, I've only gotten to the first part of this. Derek, in particular, for whatever reason, told me not to go long. But this clock up here says 1101. I am so early today. <laughs> what I want to do now is take our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're, we're only going to get to the unbeliever part of this section. Now, I know if you're here this morning and you're thinking of us going through 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse by verse, we really are, but we're unpacking verse 4 and looking at how Satan is working in the world, and we're looking right now at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now I'm going to read a larger section here, okay? And this will be our last passage, and I'll pick back up here, Lord willing, two weeks from now because Brother Schroeder, Schrader is going to be here next week. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by the Spirit nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. No, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, by the way, I believe that the Lord could come back today. While this, before this service is over. But what this passage does tell us is that this is how dark the world will become. This passage magnifies how dark the world will become. How dark does the world have to be for this to happen? pretty blind. Verse 5, remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth, that he might, be he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, working in coordination with the prince of the power of the air. 
with all power and signs and lying wonders. So let me ask you, do you need spiritual discernment? Hello? Are there a lot of things being done in the name of religion that are not of God? Absolutely. This is why we're talking about what we're doing on Tuesday nights, trying to reveal the misuse of the spirit, the misuse of spiritual gifts to recognize that there is a prince of the power of the air that has infiltrated churches and the doctrine of churches so that lies are being told as truths and false doctrine is being taught as true doctrine and the world, even in religion, is falling into darkness. You've got to have spiritual discernment. And the only way you can have it is with the Bible in your hands. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because what? They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now listen to that. Why is this happening? The two-part coordination of the spiritual uh, world of Satan and the decision of the rebellious heart. Why is this happening? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And man in his, in his puny self-righteousness says, well, why would a, a loving God ever do this? And I would say this, why would a loving God ever give anybody a chance to be saved when we have a world shaking their fists in the face of God and, and implying that we would be better God than he is? For this cause, verse 11, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. I want you to recognize that doctrinally the dominoes fall. There's a rebellion and then there is delusion. There is rejection and then darkness. Verse 12, that they all might be what? That's not a comfortable thing to say, but this is the truth, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God is a righteous God, and he's a loving God. God will execute all of his holy will. Let me ask you, do you think the world is in rebellion against God? Pretty obvious, right? This loving God has made a way for this stinky, sinful person to be saved. In his grace and his mercy, when I was following my own passions, my own way, doing what I wanted to do, I, in his mercy, he rescued me. And had he not, I would be lost still. And there would be no ceasing to the many ways that I could dive into the various aspects of, of sin. It's by his grace. But Satan is at work doing just this. I think people do well. Let me ask you, you ever thought about using 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as a, as a gospel passage like John 3.16? You realize you can open your Bible and you can say, look, I'm not smarter than you. I'm not better than you. Everyone in this, that comes into this world comes in, by what this teaches, comes into this world blind to the Savior. And we have an adversary who is working with that blindness to direct us to the cliff. And I usually argue this, have you ever been lied to? And then I usually argue, well, have you ever believed something that you found out later was not so? So out of all the things there are to know in the world, how much do you know? Out of all the things that there are that could be known, how much do you know? You don't know much, do you? Even with Google in your pocket. So do you need help? Do you realize as well that there's someone who's trying to deceive you? Do you realize as well there's someone who's trying to lead you astray and work in harmony with your unbelief to see your soul damned? 
Do you know that? And you open your Bible to this passage and you read this. And you read what this passage says and says this. If you are willing to rebel against God, he will allow you to believe a lie. Is this the only passage? You guys know your Bibles. What's another passage you'd go to? Romans 1. And if you live in rebellion against God, he will allow you to be, believe a lie. He will allow you to go in your stubbornness and rejection of him. But know that there's an end to this. And the end is the destination of your soul. You need a savior. Listen, folks. We come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to come back to this phrase. We faint not. We have a big job to do. It's important, and I, I feel the weight of this, and I hope you feel the weight of it. Is this church supposed to be evangelistic? Marginally or heavily? Yeah, I think it's a big deal, right? So while we're teaching the truth of the doctrine of the word of God, which absolutely is necessary and needs to happen, we also have to keep the flames of evangelism burning because ultimately doctrine is going to lead to a knowledge of Christ. It's not all the only area of doctrine in the Bible, but it reflects back to relationship with Christ. And we have to have the light of God, the light of Christ to navigate this world and to keep us from error. Ultimately, if it wasn't for the light of Christ, we would not only be lost, but we would be damned and hopeless and, as the Bible says, of all men, most miserable. But there is a Savior whose name is Christ. And in this world around us, as we are wrapping up this message, I would say, folks, we need to pray that God will take the blinders off that the light of Christ, the switch would be flipped so that people can see the truth. I want to encourage you that God is still saving people today. I want to encourage you, as well as myself, to perhaps be more earnest in our prayer for the lost, that they would come out of their blindness, that God would open their eyes, and that we would partner with that in the way that we can by opening our mouths to speak Jesus. It truly is a deficit that the lost are in. Sinners with a blinded mind, Satan that is working coordination to blind them as well. There's only one hope, the light of Christ. This morning, do you know Christ yourself? If so, now would be a great time to give God thanks for having that light in your heart of knowing Jesus personally. Now is also a great time to be praying for the lost around us. And in this world, there are a whole lot of people who need to know about our Jesus.